I am thankful uh, to live in the United States of America today, and uh, I am so grateful for the freedoms that we do have as a nation, and uh, oftentimes I think we take for granted uh, how good we have it in the United States of America, and uh, understanding this, that our freedom was not free. Uh, it cost many people, and uh, God has blessed us in incredible ways. And so this morning, I just want to say, if you are currently actively serving in one of our branches of military service or have in the past served, I want just to recognize you at this time to say thank you for your service. Would you stand this morning if you are serving today or have been in the past serving our nation? Would you stand today? I am so, so thankful for each one of you, and God has definitely blessed America abundantly as we look around at this uh, land in which we love, the land in which we live. And uh, I think that there's a couple of reasons for God's blessings upon us as a nation. Uh, I believe one of those reasons would be found in the Abrahamic covenant, even in Scripture. In Genesis chapter number 12 and in verse number 3, uh, the Bible says, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so our relationship with the nation of Israel uh, has definitely been uh, a God-blessed relationship, and I'm grateful to God for that. Uh, but I think about even the founding of our nation, unlike any other nation on the planet, I'm grateful for those who said, I want religious freedom. And, uh, and the Bible says, here we are today as a nation, and we were formed, again, formed on, on Judeo-Christian values. And the Bible says in Psalm 33, and in verse number 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. And I'm grateful again for our nation. I think about our beginnings on this weekend. I want to encourage you. Uh, uh, it is an incredible weekend to celebrate, and I'm grateful to God to celebrate. But remember uh, to praise God for his goodness to us as a people. And, uh, and just remember again that there was great sacrifice made over the years. And not only that, but I would say remember from where we have fallen today. When we look back at our beginnings, Abraham Lincoln made this statement and just talking about how the Bible uh, is necessary for the nation to survive and to thrive. Abraham Lincoln said this, The Bible is the best gift God has given to men. All the good the Savior gave the world was communicated through this book, but for it we could not know right from wrong. How do you know morally what's right and what's wrong? We did not establish those, but God granted those to us and has given those to us in his word. President Zachary Taylor said it like this, and I'm going somewhere with these quotes this morning just to show us how far we have fallen. Zachary Taylor said this as president. He said, The Bible is the best books, and I wish it were in the hands of everyone. It is indispensable to the safety and permanence of our institutions. A free government cannot exist without religion and morals, and there cannot be morals without religion nor religion without the Bible, especially should the Bible be placed in the hands of the young. It is the best school book in the world. I would that all of our people were brought up under the influence of the holy book. And, uh, and, and, and back in the beginning, when you talk about the beginning, obviously we did use the Bible as the primary school book, but do you know that the first printed book 
textbook of our public education system was called the primer. And in the primer, there were basically three core sections in this primer. And one of those sections happened to be titled The Alphabet of Lessons for Youth. And this is the United States of America public education system from back in the day. And uh, 16, in fact, from 1690 to the 1930s, this textbook was used as, again, one of our primary textbooks in our education system. The Alphabet of Lessons for Youth. Public Education. A. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. From Proverbs chapter 10. B. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble therewith. Proverbs chapter 15. C. Come unto Christ, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. D. The deluge drowned the earth around. Genesis 6 through 9. Now, those are big words. Talking about the flood of Noah. One of the lessons that they learned as children in the public school system. E. Elijah hid by ravens fed. F, the judgment made Felix afraid, talking about Acts chapter 24. G, as runs the glass, our life doth pass. James chapter number 4. Those are King James words. H, my book and heart must never part. Uh, I, Job feels the rod, yet blesses God. J, that is the J. K, proud Korah's troop was swallowed up. L, Lot fled to Zor, uh, uh, saw fiery shower on Sodom poor. From Genesis, letter M, Moses was he whose Israel's host led through the sea. N, Noah did view the old world and new. O, young Obadiahs, David, Josiahs, all were pious. P, Peter denied his Lord and cried. Q, Queen Esther sues and saves the Jews. R, young pious Ruth left all for truth. Letter S, young Samuel did, uh, dear the Lord, did fear. Letter T, young Timothy learnt sin to fly. U, Vashti for pride was set aside. That was V. W, whales in the sea, God's voice obey. X, Xerxes did die and so must I. Y, while youth do cheer, death may be near. Proverbs 14. Z, Zacchaeus he did climb the tree, our Lord to see. And so when we're talking about our education system of yesteryear, and we see where we are today, in fact, this week on Tuesday night right here in Tallahassee, our Leon County Board, uh, School Board of Education passed a new LBGTQ uh, policy uh, permitting, permitting those who identify uh, as transgender people to be able to have rest restroom access of wherever they identify. That, that this year coming up, that we'll have uh, school trips that are going to be made and, and, and parents will not be notified that your daughters may be in room with a boy that identifies as a girl. And I'm grateful to God because some of you were at the public education meeting this week and even stood on the floor and spoke. And I'm grateful to God. I've been praying this week sending out letters. But I'm just simply, why are you bringing that up this morning? Because I want to show you how far we have fallen as a nation. And when we look at how far we've fallen as a nation, oftentimes what we want to do is cast blame, and we look all over the place, and we try to cast blame, when the fact of the matter is, I believe the reason why the world's in the mess it's in is because of the position of the church, the health of the church. It all comes back to God's 
people. And when you're talking about the church, it's easier to blame everybody else, but we need to say, God, what about us? What part do we play in this world? We're living in a world today where politicians of yesterday, hey, politicians of yesterday revered God more than the pastors of today. I mean, when we have pastors today that are holding up a beer in one hand and a Bible in the other hand, how in the world are we preaching sanctification? Y'all all right this morning? I think about where we are today. and God, help us. God, help us. We desperately need revival in our world. We're more concerned with being politically correct than biblically correct. And we desperately need revival in this land. And when we talk about revival in the land, I'm not talking about, and part of our problem is that we're seeking comfort rather than Jesus Christ. Comfort's become the God of America. I just want to be comfortable. Therefore, I'm not going to have any confrontation. I just want to be comfortable. Well, the fact of the matter is, God help us just to say, man, we just want to be Christ-like. We want to be Christ-like. So if we're to have revival... It's not that we look at the world for revival, but rather we search our own hearts in this place today. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14, my people, my people, not worldly people, they've never had the answer. My people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There are so many components in that one verse of scripture that I think about, and one of them would be, hey, listen, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, and I think about our prayer life, are we, are we sincerely praying and asking God for change? Are we sincerely on our face praying passionately? Hey, why do you say that? Because it's only God that can speak to the heart of a dead person. I can't convince a dead man about morals, but God can. God can. Ask Lazarus. <laughs> he can speak to dead people. God help us. I think about where we are today and, 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 and what's happening in our text of Scripture this morning is Jeremiah is preaching to the nation of Judah. And, uh, and, and he's calling them again to repentance, to repentance. And when you're talking about repentance, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, that's what repentance is. And, and a lot of times we look at that word repentance and we see it as a bad word when the fact of the matter is if you want a picture of repentance, here's what a picture of repentance looks like. When you're talking about a picture of repentance, just think about this today. Think about this this morning. Suppose that, suppose that we finish our service today and, 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 and you go out into the courtyard out there and, uh, and you have a five-year-old child. You're, you have a five-year-old child. And all of a sudden, your five-year-old child decides, man, I'm going to run out here into the parking lot. Uh, and, and he takes off running into the parking lot. How many of you would say, Stop! Come back. Why would you do that? Why, why, why not let him go out there and just play in the parking lot? <laughs> well, the answer is obvious. Because we love him. We love her. And we don't want them to hurt themselves. 
exercising their freedoms. But we say, hey, I want what's best for you. And so is what repentance is for God's children. We have a God in heaven that knows what's best. He's been to tomorrow, and he knows what's best for me today and wants to guide me and wants to guard me. And he does call me to repentance along the way, to change my directions, to turn around. That's what he's saying. And God's people must learn, again, to practice repentance along the way. Jesus himself preached a message of repentance. What happens in this text of Scripture, when you read back and you read through Jeremiah's book up until this point, you'll find that the church was no different than the world. The church looked like the world. They were practicing idol worship, and, and, and they were giving lip service to the lordship of Jesus, of, of God Almighty. That's exactly what they were doing. They were given to sexual immorality. I mean, they were, they were living life just like the rest of the world. And God was, in his great mercy, sent a prophet to say, hey, stop doing what the world is doing and start acting like my children. And it was out of his mercy and out of his love for his people that he sent Jeremiah into the world. The problem was they were unwilling to repent. Why were they unwilling to repent? And what happens, what happens, what happens when we are unwilling to repent? Repent, And that's where we find ourselves in Jeremiah chapter number 8. Number one, when you're talking about being unwilling to repent along the way, unwilling to repent, rejection is unreasonable. It's an unreasonable response for God's children not to repent. He has once again told them and reminded them of his faithfulness and of his goodness to them. And we must often go back and think about the goodness of God and how good he has been. That in his tender mercies, he got me up out of bed this morning. That the very breath I breathe is a gift from God. He's been so good to us. Rejection is unreasonable. Verse number 4, the Bible says, You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord because they're not repenting. Do men fall and not get up again? Does one turn away and not repent? Why then has this people, Jerusalem, turned away in continual apostasy? And they hold fast to deceit, and they refuse to return. I have listened and heard, and they have spoken what is not right. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course like a, like a horse charging into the battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her seasons, and the turtle dove and the swift and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people don't know the ordinance of the Lord. And he's just saying how unreasonable for us not to repent. And what he does is he begins just by talking about uh, uh, analogies from life, from everyday life. He says, man, if, if somebody trips and falls, don't they get up? I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's what we do. I mean, imagine this morning, imagine this morning if I, if I trip and fall on, on the platform and I trip and fall, I'm not going to stay there. I mean, in fact, if I trip and fall, well, you know what's going to happen? Let me just give you an illustration. All right? I, I'm not an actor, so I tripped and I fell, right? <laughs> and so I'm laying here. I was not created to be on the ground like this. In fact, I would say that if I legitimately tripped and fell, I ought to be a little bit embarrassed because I'm not supposed to be down here. Something happened. But the longer I stay here, I say, man, this really is kind of comfortable. I don't even have to look at people down here. I mean, this is pretty nice right here. 
And before you know it, it's like, man, let me just stay here for a while. And that's exactly what's happening with the people of God. We're not supposed to lay down with the rest of the world and act like the rest of the world. God didn't create us to live life in such a way. He says, why don't my people stand back up and dust themselves off once they've fallen? Because there's going to come times in all of our lives when we're going to fall down, spiritually speaking. But we need to get back up. We need to get back up. Because you weren't created to stay on the ground like that. He says, what about those that are going the wrong direction? What about, and you know what, let me, let me just back up for a second. If any of you, which you didn't do it, I'm ashamed of you, but uh, if, if, had you come up here, had you come up here and said, hey, let me help you up off the ground, I'd say, man, thanks for that. I, I need it because I'm getting older. And that would have been a reasonable response. Instead of saying, why don't you mind your own business? Why don't you just mind your own business? And let, let me just stay down here. It's none of your business. How unreasonable would that response have been? See, Jeremiah is using these illustrations. And he's saying, not, not only when you fall down do you get back up, but if you're going the wrong direction, if you're going the wrong direction, you know what's going to happen? You're going to turn back around when you find out it's the wrong direction. I mean, if you set out to go to Jacksonville, Florida, and jumped onto I-10 and started heading west on I-10, you can have all the faith in the world, but at the end of the day, you're not going to end up in Jacksonville. And as soon as somebody comes to you and says, hey, you're going the wrong direction. You're wanting to go, you're wanting to, go to Jacksonville, but you're going the wrong direction. You know what your response is going to be? Man, thank you, thank you. Because that's where I want to go. And yet... And yet, spiritually speaking, when my people are confronted, why are you bothering me with that? Let me live life the way I want to live life. Jeremiah says, that's how my people are responding. And how unreasonable is that response when I've been so good to you? Why, the point being, why do we respond reasonably to everyday matters, but unreasonably when it comes to eternal matters? He says, here's, here's what we do. This is the way we live. In verse number 6 and 7, he says this. He says, I listened and heard, and they have spoken what is not right. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his course like a horse charging into battle. And then he goes on from there. What's he saying? He's saying it's like a horse. You know what a horse charging into battle, you know what they are? They're completely oblivious to the danger in which they are trotting. They're completely oblivious to the danger into which they're heading. And the reason we don't repent is because we don't see the danger. We just don't see the danger. We want to live how we want to live, and we want to go the direction we want to go. And so when we come to the home, I mean, where, where do we begin and where do we end with illustrations? Because we have illustrations until the cows come home. But if you're talking about authority in the home, I mean, we need to teach our children authority in the home. That yes means yes and no means no. And why don't we do that? Because we like to be comfortable. But at the end of the day, the problem is we're heading into danger if my children don't learn authority. 
When we abandon worship on weekends and we say, man, it's just not time for worship. I just have too many other things to do and I just don't have time to gather with the people of God. I know what the Bible says. In fact, I, I know that the Bible says that we ought not to forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing, but I've got a lot of things that are busy. And so we abandon worship. And in so doing, we, we're like the horse that's heading into battle. Things are falling apart, but we don't realize the danger that we're going into. We like to justify our drinks, and we don't realize the danger. Do you know that so many people justify their actions based on the actions of professing Christians? I mean, I mean when we're talking, let me, let me just talk alcohol for a minute. Can we do that this morning? It's quiet. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I'm just saying there's a lot of justification of alcohol when little children are watching. And God forbid that one of the little children ever justify their own drinking because Pastor Brian said it's okay to drink alcohol. God forbid my son or my daughter. Hey, listen. You need to assume some responsibility along the way when you have children. They will justify their actions based on what mommy and daddy do. God forbid that my son or my daughter grow up and become an alcoholic because, man, I, my daddy was one. You say, well, I can control my alcohol. Well, maybe your children can't. Maybe your friends can't. What are you saying? It's, it's like a horse heading into battle. That's what I'm saying. It's dangerous. It's dangerous when a man goes to a business luncheon with a woman that's not his wife or a woman with a man that's not her husband. What have I done? You're like a horse going into battle. Verse number 7. Even the stork in the sky knows her seasons, and the turtle dove and the swift and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people, my people, don't know the ordinance of the Lord. Even the birds know what's best. You know there's a bird called the Arctic tern, and it's born up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It's the champion of all birds when it comes to migration. In fact, what they do is they live their summer months up in Cape Cod area, and when August comes around, they fly across the Atlantic Ocean down the coast of Africa to Antarctica and stay there during the winter months and then return. 22,000 miles round trip. <laughs> These little birds. Why do they go there? Because they have a built-in radar that says that's how we function. That's how we're to survive. That's what's healthy. I don't want to freeze my little feathers off up here. <laughs> and what God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah to his people is that even little birds, even little birds, even little birds know how to respond, and my people don't. God help us to respond obediently. He says, you know what happens to our people is we shake our heads. What have I done? Verse number six. What, what have I done? I mean, I mean, what's the big deal? Hey, 
What if I, what's the big deal if I, don't, if I don't tithe? I mean, it's only robbing God. It's not a big deal. What, what's the big deal if I've been blessed with talents, but I don't use them for God? What's the big deal? What's the big deal if God's gifted me to be a teacher, but I don't teach? What's the big deal if he's gifted me with the voice to sing, and I don't sing his praises? What's the big deal? I just don't see what the big deal is. I don't see what the big deal is. It's just a little bit of pride. It's just a little bit of gossip. It's just a little white lie. It's just a little bit of pornography. It's just a little bit of lust in the heart. What's the big deal? The big deal is you are the bride of Christ and you're whoring around. That's the big deal. God, help me. Help me. And I'm this morning, hey, listen, it's not just about, let me just preach a message. But God, help me. Help me. I want to be faithful follower of Jesus Christ. God wants, God wants so much for each one of us. And he's sending Jeremiah the prophet. And the reason he's sending Jeremiah the prophet is because he's desiring the best for each one of us. And this morning, I know we're here at 4th of July weekend, and it's like, good night. Well, here's why we don't preach chapter and verse through the whole book of most of our prophets. We'd be beat black and blue. <laughs> but there are some times that we desperately need that. And I believe that when we're talking about the life of our nation, it's so easy to look around and say, can you believe what they're passing out there? Can you believe? You know what they're acting like? They're acting like lost people because they are. But it's really bad when the church is acting like lost people when we leave the walls of this building. God, help us <clears throat> to be faithful along the way. I'm th thankful that we have a God that loves us, that desires intimacy with each one of us. He goes on in verse number 8 and 9, and he just talks about this rejection as cause. It's caused by deception. We're deceived people in a lot of different ways. How, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? In other words, the church is saying, man, we got the word. Pastor saying, we, we got the Bible but behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. In other words, our liberty has become a license to live a pagan lifestyle. The wise men are put to shame, and they are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what kind of wisdom do they have? In other words, we're going to figure it out ourselves. Therefore, I, I will give their wives to others and their fields to new owners because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is greedy for gain. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone practices deceit. They heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They certainly were not ashamed and they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time of their punishment, they shall be brought down, says the Lord. God doesn't strive with man forever. What's, what's the problem? Well, the problem is they were boasting of possessing the scriptures. <clears throat> when the fact of the matter is, hey, listen, you can possess the Bible without practicing it. And just simply to possess scripture and just simply to stand and open scripture doesn't do anything for me. 
God is saying, hey, you can possess it, but you really need to be practicing it. In fact, James says it like this in James chapter number 1 and in verse number 22. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. In other words, what happens a lot of times is people say, man, I, I know what the Bible says, but... I mean, when you look at our nation, our nation still, still over, the, over the last several, in fact, many decades, our Bible, the Bible, the Word of God is the best-selling book in our country. So what's wrong with the country? Well, we possess the Bible, but we're not practicing the Bible. And there's a difference. There's a difference. George Barna, he studies trends within churches, his organization. He says this. He says 15%, listen, listen, 15% of attenders, in other words, church attenders, 15% of church attenders claim that Jesus ranked relationship with God a top priority. Where's the other 85%? <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ's whole life came because Why? The most important part of our life is a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus. It was important to Jesus Christ. The reason why he laid down his life. George Barnes said 75%, listen, 75%, three-quarters of our Christian teenagers uh, said this, I'd rather be popular than moral. God help us. And, I, and, I, and I, I didn't see any research on adults, but I, I believe that the same probably is true of adults as it is of teenagers. I, I just, I'd rather fit in. I would rather fit in than to be the salt in the room. I would rather fit in than to be God's light in the room. Let me just kind of hide over here. You know, what happens to us is this. Our attitude towards sin changes. And that's what he's talking about here. Attitude towards sin changes. How does it change? We kind of look at it like this. We say, you know what? <clears throat> God understands. I mean, it's not a big deal to sin. God, God understands. It's not a big deal to live like the rest of the world because at the end of the day, God, God understands. He understands. Can, can, seriously, I don't know where or when that sentiment began within the Christian church. That, that God understands. Do, do you know who we are? In fact, if you read through, I would encourage you when you go home today to read from Jeremiah chapter 1 up until this point and watch what God's saying to his people, to his people. And you know the picture that he presents Several times over in these chapters, he says, you know who my people are? You're my bride. You're my bride. With that picture in mind, how many of us today, how many of us today, hey, let me ask you men something this morning. Seriously, men, men, we ought to be the heads of our homes What would you say if your wife just, you know, an hour a day took off and went down to the bedroom and hoard herself around? 
would you say, oh, it's not a big deal. I mean, she just, it's just occasional sin. How many, how many of the women would say, oh, my husband, my husband, just, just, just Friday nights. I mean, it's just one night a week. It's not a big deal. They're just out there sleeping around one night a week, just one time a week. I mean, hey, where do you draw? One time a year. It's only one time a year. <laughs> and yet the church, the bride of Christ says, it's not that big of a deal. God understands. And that's what Jeremiah is saying to his people. Hey, do you know who you, you are? The bride of Christ. You're the bride of Christ. Don't live like the rest of the world. Verses 8 and 9 says, man, they've abandoned my word. We have, the, we have the word, but behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, church leaders have made the word of God a lie. That's what's happening. We've abandoned God's word because we want to be, again, politically correct. We have mainline denominations. We have mainline denominations who claim to be Christian followers of Jesus Christ who are performing homosexual weddings. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just stating facts. It's disgusting to see where the church has come to today. But we have God's word. And so the people are following where the preachers are leading. That's exactly what's happening. When you're talking about churches today, we don't have messages on repentance very often, on the blood of Jesus Christ, because it's just not real popular. I'd, I'd, I'd rather know how I can be better, <laughs> be more successful, when the fact of the matter is there needs to be more preaching on repentance and saying, let's quit practicing sinful lifestyles like the rest of the world because it's despicable to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, it might be okay for the church, but it's not for God. God help us. And you know why we don't go there? You know why preachers don't go there? Because there's pressure put on. Because we got people that says, man, I'd rather have somebody just to scratch my back and tickle my ears. In fact, what we have happened today is when you preach on these subjects like this, man, we hit an issue that doesn't settle well with me. And rather than taking it back to God and praying through the issue, we say, man, I'm going to just go on down to the next church. because, And we spiritualize it. We spiritualize it. Well, I feel like the Lord's leading me. When, when, when could it be that the Lord actually is trying to bring you under conviction, but you're running from it? In other words, here, here's, here's, here's how we examine a sermon, any sermon lesson, any lesson from God's Word. Is it from God's Word? Is it biblical? Is it bi and don't just walk away and say, oh, it ain't biblical. Oh, Jesus turned water into wine. That man hit on alcohol today. He ain't biblical. We can have a conversation afterwards. Y'all okay? <laughs> Why is it so quiet this morning? He goes on down, verses 13 to 22. <clears throat> and he just talks about, again, what happens when we reject repentance. But let me just, verse 22, close with this. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? 
And when you look at these verses of Scripture, understand this, that when we reject repentance, it ultimately leads to judgment. In other words, God knows where we are as His people. And He desires, He desires intimate walk with each one of us. And when we find ourselves in a position where, man, I have fallen and I need to get back up. I'm heading the wrong direction and I need to head back in the right direction. And I'm just really comfortable with where I am. He says, is there any balm? Is there any healing? Is there any healing in this land? And he's using, again, a geographical location of where they happen to have plants that were used for healing. And he's simply saying, using a material picture for a spiritual point, he's saying, hey, listen, is there any healing for my people? And this morning, hey, you know what I'm grateful to God for? We can say, absolutely, there is a balm at Morningside. And it's not among the people, but it's Jesus Christ. He is the answer. That Jesus Christ, no matter who you are and no matter how far you have strayed, that he is wanting and willing for you to repent and come back to him. Hey, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm inviting you today. God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did he do that? Because everybody in this world has sinned and fallen short of his glory. And he knows my sin. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my struggles. And God Almighty says, but I love you and desires an intimate relationship with you. And I know what's best for you. In fact, I have plans and I have purposes. But you need to follow. But you need to follow. If there's never been a time in your life when you've called on the name of Jesus, I'm inviting you today to call on his name. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian and you would say, you know what, this morning I have been living no different than the rest of the world. Holy Spirit of God searches our hearts. I would invite him today. Search my heart, God. Is there anything in me that's not pleasing to you? I want it to be a big deal to me because I know it is to you. So search me because I want to please you today. And then just be obedient to what the Holy Spirit of God lays on your heart this morning. Hey, would you do me a favor today and join me for a time of prayer? We are in desperate need of revival in this land. And revival begins among the people of God. When the people of God stop looking at the sins of the world and looking at the sins of others and invite Holy Spirit of God to search my heart and deal with my sin before my God. And that's where revival begins. Oh God, we desperately need you today in this land. We desperately need you today in our churches. Oh, Father. God, we can relate, every one of us, to the words of the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one that I do love. Oh, God. I pray your Holy Spirit today would search our hearts. Father, I pray that you would show me, show me, in me, what you see. 
Search us to God. Father, I pray for those that are here this morning, whether it be in the building or online, that have never called on your name to be saved, to be born again. Oh God, that your Holy Spirit, only you can give life. Only you. God, we need you. God, we need you. Lord Jesus, have your way today. God, if you need, bless us with a poor spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning? Hunter's going to lead us in a song of closing. And today, if you would like to talk, if you'd like to pray, uh, as soon as service is over, I'm inviting you. Would you come down this morning and talk? Uh, I'll be here. We have others that will be down front. You come this morning after we sing.